Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Hello and welcome. I'm joined today by Marianne Withers, who's the founder and CEO of the Verity Center. She has a wealth of experience within the industry regarding customer journeys, and I'm really looking forward to unpacking that particularly. Marianne has a huge amount of experience, as I said, director, a business dealing with clients that included Circo and the post office, before going on to be the chief operating officer at Your Center Limited, an outsourced contact center where the responsibility lay with Marianne to design and create customer journeys and ensure that they were effective. From there, Marianne went on to set up the Verity Center, bespoke and personalized contact center and business solutions consultancy company. So I'd like to start there if I can, Marianne. Tell me about the impetus behind actually deciding to found the Verity Center. What was your jumping off point? I've done an awful lot for other people over the years. Whether I've gone to work directly for companies or I've kind of gone and consulted for other people, but it's always been, could you come and help us sort something out? Or can you come and help us build something? And a lot of the occasions on the sorting out would normally be where they've already hired someone else to sort it out and they haven't been able to sort it out. It's the sort of thing they go, well, Marianne will be able to do it. And even in the listening company days, I was the site director of Portsmouth site. We're talking up to have nearly 1,100 staff there. And we would have a look at the the projects. And I worked there twice, one as a consultant and one as a site director. And the initial time, we had about 500 seats at that time. And when there were any difficult projects came in, they would always be put in Portsmouth because it would be, well, Marianne would be able to do that. Or if we were in competition against Richmond, it will be, yeah, oh, look, Portsmouth have won again. And it, it just kind of over the years, you start doing that, you carry on doing it. The listing company brought me back as a consultant to help them with their buyout for nearly two and a half years. If we hit a certain amount of revenue, then the fact is the investors would get a load more money. So I spent the time with Adrian and Neville with them sending me around to all of their projects and actually focusing on sorting out a number of them. There were ones that were in the red, never hit target. And my direction was put them in target and get them in the black, which is what I did. And you just get to the point of going, why don't we do it for ourselves? And so Adrian and I went out and set up YCL. However, only had 12.5% of that. And Within like four or five years, we're at 150 seats because we always wanted to be boutique and specialist and innovative because it was a lot of my values and kind of thoughts around what we wanted to do. And we were very aligned on that. But as you grow, things change. Investors come in and get involved and kind of our path separated. And I just kind of went, don't want to be here anymore. And not sure what I want to do, but kind of was just a little bit saddened and needed to kind of move on. So I did, 
and decided, well, at that time, I went, well, I'll just go and do consultancy. And uh, had a, a message from Humphrey Davis out in South Africa, where he was at the time. And he just was kind of like, Marianne, where's your focus? Kind of went to bed that night, woke up in the morning and went, hang on a minute. You spend most of your life with people asking you to go and sort things out or set things out. And a CEO, all of operations, IT, compliance, quality, training, recruitment, it all reported directly to me. And so me and my teams did the setup of the last one. So I thought, well, why not put your money where your mouth is and invest yourself and actually go out and do it? And so that was my impetus of just this time going, right, okay, that means my heart can be completely in to what I want to do and I can actually put in the culture and ethos that I very much believe in and how I've worked over the years and then build the kind of company that I want people to be part of and feel comfortable being part of. I love that. I really like that. When I was reading some of the information about the Verity Center, one of the things that really jumped out to me was the line, we're an extension of your brand. I really thought that was a very powerful line and the ethos and the compass of the company that really comes through when I was reading about it. And how much of an impact does that ethos, does that core value and principle play in terms of customer journeys? Everything we do. It's the thing is, is that your client is so important and their brand is so important. And it's so easy for everyone out there. Anyone who's selling their company will tell you that they're excellent and that they really, really care. And there's a lot of companies out there that do. But can I honestly tell you, and you will know, there are certain many levels of caring. And I have a kind of a very heightened sense of urgency, always have, and also a heightened sense of, and I've written a post this morning, it's the second one on attention to detail. And your journey with your client starts at the first day you're talking to them and understanding completely what they actually want. There's a few people have written kind of references or points about me is that supposedly I have a very good understanding of what people want and then can take it to the next level of going, but have you looked at this and this and this is where you can go. So the journey for the client itself is an extension to the journey for their customer. It's understanding what they need to do, but taking apart the customer. The customer starts as a potential customer. Every single part of that touching of the company and how you treat them, how you care for them, how you make them feel will be whether someone actually stays with you throughout their whole journey. Should you ever wait to do retention programs? Oh, how about treating them like from day one all the way through so that they actually don't get to the point that they go, do you know, I want to leave you. So the journey is such an, I think is it's such an interesting element And that you have a look at it, and it can be done in so many different ways. I have an inner geek in me and always have done. So I adore the tech side of it. And it's a complete enabler of how you should deal with people. And it's like having a percentage breakdown of communication. 
a certain percentage of it should be tech-driven completely. And as we get better and better at the tech, I mean, there is some outstanding tech out there at the moment, but we've just got to make sure it works. And so as that gets better, and the journey becomes more seamless for the customer, that percentage will go. And so what you've got is you, you will have your kind of your bots. You have your live chat with real people. You have your email, you have your SMS, you have your voice. And they all pay a percentage along that line. And the more we move on in years, they will change according to how better the tech goes. And the tech should be an enabler that I just go on and do a nice interaction. And it's nice and simple. I don't have to talk to anyone. I don't have to deal with anything. It's nice and simple. But the other things need to be there to offer someone if they don't want to do that. And as I say, we have to understand whatever happens throughout the world that people will want to use different parts. You can't go, I'll cut off email. I'll cut off voice. And your tech part will grow as we all get older and it will change. But it's understanding that whole journey and understanding how it is going to change and adapt and working with the people to make their lives easier and giving them that comfort factor and peace of mind in what they do and how they communicate. So I'm going to ask a question that seemed like a very straightforward question, but I suspect it's actually quite a complex answer. For you, what defines a successful customer journey? I think it's core to what you're talking about because there is, are we talking about the whole life of a customer journey or are we actually talking about the customer journey of someone ringing in? Are we looking at the customer journey if an outbound call is being made? Or is it the journey when you're actually dealing with a bot? So there's all manners of different customer journeys and they all will be integral to the life cycle of that customer. That makes sense. Yeah, I follow that. Okay. At the moment, an entrepreneur in residence at the University of Portsmouth. And one of the aspects of that is helping to contribute to the shaping of the strategy, enterprise and the entrepreneurial learning programs. So with that in mind, so if you were talking to someone who was looking to set up a company and they were looking at customer journeys. What aspects of that successful customer journey, macro or micro, do you think organizations either new or established miss most often? Thought pattern. I think, again, there's many different attributes that you need to kind of look at. If you're going to start out, I mean, my Verity Center's very different from a lot of outsourcers that have set up for the fact of a lot of the outsourcers that are out there, the BPOs, have you know, all started with some major project as being their first client. So actually, you're very in the middle of the fact that you have a, a journey to actually deal with immediately, like I did in YCL. When we set that, we had the military mutual and we actually built and set up an insurance company. So you're actually in the detail of writing from end to end, from potential customer to customer, to MTAs, to claims. And actually, we had the most beautiful workflows that you ever could imagine. 
Actually, it's a side story of that. You'll love this because Adrian and I got told off. <laughs> we had this guy who was brought in by um, the, our parent company, Regis, at the time. And so he was documenting the journeys. And he was a man who was being paid a lot of money as a consultant. And he had the most wonderful case in the world. And it had everything you can think in there, all the pens, all the nice little stickies and flags and all the pretty things. And I remember doing this massive journey and it was Adrian and I who were doing all of the, we need to do this, we need to move this to there and everything. And he took it all away. There's there lots of stickies on everything because you weren't supposed to write on the journey. So you get to stick little pink things or orange things or little pins or whatever all over it. And about two weeks later, we came back to a meeting and it was all spread over a long, long table. And we walked in and I went, where did the updates have happened at all? And he kind of looked at me and this guy was out of the room at the moment. So Adrian and I got a pen to start to draw it on the journey. And we wrote it all on the journey. When he came back in, yeah, we just shouted at like five-year-old children. And it was just like, and said, how dare we were to put anything on there because all it should be is stickers and pins and things like that. And we went, yeah, but you haven't done any of the work in the last two weeks. So we've just written it all and it's taken us about 20 minutes to write it on you. So anyway, that was the side, yeah. That didn't go down too well at, at all. But let's say that gentleman actually was not longer with the project about two days later. But yeah, any customer journey was, as I say, we are very, very different. We started off with absolutely nothing at all. We had no initial project. It was about going out there and it was finding the business, setting up from absolutely nothing. So from 1st of March last year until the beginning of August, there was me because I didn't want to actually set up anything from a point of going live with the client until around the end of September. I wanted to bring people in from the beginning of August who would be focused on for a month, two months, on writing processes and getting us to the level that we could actually combat any BPO in the way of going up against them with business because of our processes would be either aligned or better than theirs. So our due diligence was our complete and utter focus. So again, if you look at it as a journey, you have to start somewhere and your processes are absolutely vital. But before then, it was me getting a building ready, getting the tech in place, getting all the things in place to be able to get those people in to do that, ready to be able to go out and be able to pitch the clients that I had a building. One, it looked nice, which I actually had to send photographs to someone before they would even talk to me, which was absolutely brilliant. It's like, can you send photographs of the building you're in to make sure that it's a nice building before we would talk to you? And I kind of went, okay, fine, we'll do that. I had to produce quite a lot of references to some people before they would talk to me. One, I'm known in the industry, but you're opening the company that it's great. There's Marianne. She can come in and consult, do this, do that. But this is the Verity Centre. How's this going to work? How are you going to bring everything together in here? So your mapping of your journey before even you get to is part of it. Because when you're talking about a customer journey, this is your client's 
customer journey. And then once you get to start working for a client, you have to look at your client's customers and their journey. So it's it's a lot of de- attention to detail, but not micromanagement. I've had this discussion with someone on the post this morning. Actually, it was Paul Banks. Hi, Paul. I'm only out there. Love you to death. But he was saying too much attention to detail is micromanagement and, or macromanagement. And I kind of said, you're getting my point wrong. I'm not talking about being in the detail and talking about paying attention to the detail. And there is a complete and utter difference. One of them could actually save the country millions in the way of time, effectiveness, money, that type of thing. Because we all kind of go on about the fact of people make mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. And you learn by the mistakes. But how many mistakes do you let happen? And are the mistakes because of it's a lack of focus and a lack of paying attention to detail? So as an example will be customer journeys and the tech element. How many times are we getting extra calls on the voice side and the inbound lines because basically the tech's not working? And when you get into it, the tech's not working because it hasn't gone through the tests that it should do. Or it's gone through initial tests. It's absolutely fine. It's not quickly tested every morning to see if absolutely fine, but someone's made a firewall change, so it's all fallen over. So again, my attention to detail is about points and checks in the right place to make sure things are accurate and how they're working. It's not about being in the detail, which is completely different. Yeah, I think I would agree with you on that. It's about bearing in mind, you know, have we considered how we're going to ensure that this is happening rather than this is how we're going to ensure that this is happening. It's two sides of the same coin. I completely agree. You raised an interesting point there, which was around processes. And I just wanted to unpick that a little bit because I can only begin to imagine when setting up the Verity Center, there were You had plans and journeys and things mapped out of where you expected it to be. But I'm going to go out on a limb and guess, as with all plans, it falls at the first attack. How adaptive did you have to be with your plan? And on the back of that, is it really possible to truly predict or map a full customer journey in a similar way? Or does it need to be much more adaptive to the individual based on that journey itself? I would say one thing I'm lucky because I'm I've always been very tech led, and as I say, um, have this massive inner geek in me. Do love Star Trek, so is that I learned a long, long time ago as dealing in agile, and still there are some people who still work in waterfall. I mean, yeah, I, I don't understand it. The one thing you have to be is very, very agile, and you need to be fleet of foot and be able to adapt. I'll go through all the old analogies, turn on a penny or anything like that. But you have to be that way, and you have to look, because what you should be doing is viewing, understanding. It's one of the things that Paul Banks and I talk quite a lot about is AI or analytics. And I'll get lots of companies who want me to sell me analytics. I've done analytics always 
I haven't always needed an outsourced lovely analytics kind of tool to be able to do this because actually being able to do, I used to be able to write in SQL and things like that. So the fact is exporting data and putting it into models and being able to play with it and pull out the analytics. I'm going back to, you know, the early 90s, which is showing my age hugely. But yeah, I was doing things like that because you cannot make decisions and the right judgment unless you understand the data. And this is anything in any part of your business world. Factual information allows you to make the right judgments. And so when you're setting things up, basically, if I had about 20 pairs of hands with balls and was able to juggle absolutely beautifully, that is what you're doing. And that's what you need to do when you're doing something like this, because you've got to be aware of everything that's around you and also the constant changes that is going to make it not an outsourcer that's got like a thousand seats where it becomes, and I apologize to this to them, I don't mean it in this way, it becomes a lot easier because you have very structured management teams of being able to lead and guide the people to be able to do it. When you're kind of small, my team, who I think are the most amazing team ever, have had to juggle so many balls to be able to do what you need to do because you can't add in loads of overhead. You know what it's like having a system, got this much client, got this much revenue coming in. Well, your overheads need to be a certain level because there's not a never-ending pot of the beautiful, much money just sitting there going, yes, we can just take the gold out of the pot and pay for it. So you have to be very careful. So choosing the right type of people to be supportive and with you have to be like-minded people who can juggle quite a number of balls. And what I'm very, very lucky is that I have some massively talented and wonderful creative people around me who actually pull on my coats tails and and they get me to really think about things and they make me more creative and that's wonderful that is a fantastic answer i want to kind of dig into that a little bit if i may so again from kind of what i've understood of the verity center in my research again us you know to quote our services are personal and bespoke we offer you a range of customized tailor-made services to support your particular market and your specific needs So we talked about being a data-driven organization. In terms of the customer, do you think it's important to focus on the the consumer as a collective group? Or should the focus be more directed perhaps to making the experience as personal as possible and having that personal and bespoke experience? I think you've got a jewel of kind of both because there will always be a kind of a path and there will could be kind of call it a skeleton of this is the way and this is the movement you should be through the journey. Well, I've always looked at it is on an individual basis, whether it's the agent or whether it's the customer, it's kind of the meat around the bones of what you add into it. To be honest, we say that we give you a respectful approach to communication and I'm not having to go at anyone else saying that they don't. But what I very much kind of think very, very carefully about is the fact of the communication level and how 
two people speak to each other and how they engage with each other. Now, the fact is that I can go out there and everyone will go from any contact center and will tell me that they all do it wonderfully. Okay. Now, I've consulted in a loads of them and I've been through a loads of them. And there are some very, very good people out there, absolutely 100%. And some outsourcers do it far better than other outsourcers. What I will say is not having to go them. No, what we do is the value that we bring is our, one, our relationship with the client. We are very close to the client and working with the client and recommending with the client and being able to really, again, understand what is happening to be able to tweak and adapt and change as we go to make the journey better for the client and the customer. And so, and from a communication level, we are very much looking at, you know, every aspect of the communication, the wording, the tone. Again, everyone will say they teach that and do that. And, I, I, you know, how many calls do you get off home, especially if there's outbounds and they're absolutely horrific. And... I get very upset when I get a call because just be like, no, if you only spoke to me like this and I want to talk to you. And, you know, we get on the inbound side of it. And this is actually, and I feel sorry hugely for agents all over the country because it's got a lot more difficult over the last couple of years, especially with the pandemic. People are getting a lot more angry. So you have to look at all different levels of how much more training and development that they need how much actual training do they need on actually on their temperament and how they handle things? And yes, the mental health aspect comes into it, not just for vulnerable customers, but also the vulnerability of your own staff. These are all the things that we constantly are looking at and thinking about. And when you're running, I think, at a centre these days, it's not just about having employees. It's about other aspects of making their life fulfilled and that they're comfortable and happy where they work. And if the challenges that they're having, that they can be open and talk about them and that they have a management team and a company that are around them to understand and guide them. I think for so many years is always been developing others. I think I probably should have been a teacher a math teacher I wanted to be, but it's about that development of people, of helping people grow within themselves. I always used to love the fact is you get someone who had a difficult time, or maybe were a difficult person themselves, and actually being able to turn them around and actually nurture and develop them, that they become successful, is truly such a wonderful kind of feeling, and that's why I do it. I was just going to say, I find it really interesting that in a similar vein, I feel very much the same way as you. But I also find it fascinating when I was on the phones that those customers who were the most challenging, the most upset, the most frustrated customers, when you provided that customer journey that they valued, actually, they would then become your biggest advocates. Absolutely. That was fascinating. No, but that's the normal thing I can tell you on outsourcing as a whole, right? You make a mistake. Everyone can make a mistake. And you make a mistake to your clients. Okay. 
And a lot of people think, oh God, that's it. We made a big mistake to the No, it's how you turn it around and how quickly you sort out that kind of issue that shows the client what type of company you are. I know companies out there, there's been a problem or something and then they don't speak to the client for days and they leave it. I would prefer to pick up the phone and go to the client, but we've had a problem, hands up, we've made a mistake. This is what we've done to turn it around. It's all in place. We've done it. And then what you get back from the client is, right, thank you. One, it's honest. And one, well, the Verity Center is called Verity because it means truth and principles. Put your hands up, be open and honest and show them the plan to turn it around and ensure that everything is good. That's what a customer or a client are actually looking for. They want you to... They know mistakes happen. They know there'll be a problem. And if you're a customer on the phone and you get someone who actually will take you through that journey, make you feel comfortable and then sort it out. And oh my God, if you can get a first call resolution. Absolutely. It is beautiful. Yes. And I mean, we work for a medical client and we've got, you know, 14 people taking inbound calls for two as prescriptions and 67% of them are vulnerable. And our quality scores are over 90%, sorry, 95%. And that's how good our quality is on that, because it's all about the communication and making those vulnerable customers happy and that they get out of that call and that you've done everything for them. And that's rewarding for the staff as well. That's always an important aspect of it for me. No member of a company wants to be in a position whereby they can't help the, the person that they're talking to. Absolutely. So I'm going to wrap it up with two very quick fire questions. Well, one of a quick fire question, one might be slightly longer. So first things first, thank you very much for talking to me today, Marianne. Loved it. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Who in the contact centre industry would you most like to take to lunch? Oh, I'm not gonna, I see how, how you respond to my answer. My management team. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Yes. Yes. That's fantastic. I don't even need to ask the next question. That's, <laughs> that's the right answer. I love that answer. Thank you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, Marianne. It's been an absolute joy. It's been absolute joy to speaking to you, Sean. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.